Hello, welcome to Talks at Brickstone, your one-stop podcast for research, insights, and interviews on top leadership issues relating to Africa's infrastructure, built, and natural environment. I'm your host, Femi Aufala. listen to the first part, kindly go back and listen to part A and then return. Thank you. Now let's just move quickly into the issue of um, the linkage between the efficiency of a building, which you have even explained in this your final explanation. Now the issue now comes up it relates to the future of workplace uh, and how does this relate to property owners and landlords, meaning that um, as much as they have delivered assets in itself, and they also seek to continue to earn income from the asset. Yes, they are not the occupiers at the, at the immediate time, but however, they are the owners. And if the occupiers have this as their own idea in terms of making the workplace in, in a way habitable and, and things, uh, what should these landlords be looking out for? Be looking out for in that regard. Okay, so um, I mentioned the ISO standards earlier, and one of the things that ISO talks about is being able to uh, providing service that meets the customer requirements. So, uh, and there's this in the, the workplace report from IWF, and there was a quote there on Yang Yang, and he said, First life then spaces, then buildings. Wow. So okay. it's first of all about people. Okay. How do you build without first of all um, understanding what your users need, what do they need? Um, so you may not know those who are going to take up the buildings, but you, it means that you need to stand from a user's point of view. Okay, yeah. So it's no longer just about what your preferences are or what the space can take. It's now more about what does the user want? what kind of um, common areas, what kind of stairwells, what kind of office linkages should we be taking into consideration in the residential, what kind of um, common facilities for instance, where should the swimming pool be? I mean that's another experience that some of our, our um, members have shared with us. So we find that in Nigeria for instance, typically the average Nigerian woman would not like to swim in it. But you have developers who put their swimming pool right out in the open. So it's 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 in you know general view. Yeah, yeah. And then they wonder that why don't people come out to swim? So it's either the men or the children who use the pool. And it's because by nature of our culture, the yeah. typical Nigerian woman, not comfortable to just swimming. jump out in your yeah. swimsuit and feel that everybody's looking at me from exactly. floor Especially 10 and floor 12. Your own building. Exactly. It's multi-use. So, so because of that, if you don't take that into consideration, so yes, you've built your facility, but the users are not getting optimum experience from that. Things like um, the gazebo, where is it? Uh, are people able to have a private function? Yes, it's a public space because it's shared by all of us. Mm-hmm. Are people able to have a private function without everybody looking out the window and saying, oh, so you came for this person's party and that exactly. person's party. Where do the windows face? 
who, who can look into your building and tell you know whether you're home or not you can install the lights on and you know so all of those things have to be taken into consideration first and foremost from the uh, developer's point of view and then recognizing that for organizations now the building goes beyond just a functional space it's part of a brand so um, if i have a tower for instance it says that i'm big if I, you know, if I have um, just one level building, you know, and then again, it depends on the purpose of the organization. So, if it's a school, for instance, and sometimes if you're if you're building, you have to bear in mind the flexibility to convert. Okay. In, in in Lagos, particularly, we've seen a lot of areas that were previously tagged residential now being converted to commercial space. Ikoyi is one such area yeah. now. So. People who had built before now typically built residential. Now this this that space is being sought after by organizations who want to use them for office. If your building requires so much to convert to office space, people just leave it. Exactly. If the cost of conversion is going to be high, so people have to build with that in mind. And if you look at um, earlier generations, even for residential. There was a style of what your residence would look like and where the living room would be and how the rooms you know were interlinked but modern buildings are shifting away from that so do you need to move out of your building to be able to achieve the modern look and feel or is your building you know, easily um, convertible when you do a renovation and what was a building that was built several years back can easily turn to a modern building so even now as developers are creating new spaces, they have to put that into consideration. What are the users' needs today? What is the world going to be in tomorrow? And you can't take away the place of technology. So um, now you have things like uh, visitor management systems that are coming into play, which means, uh, yes, I have my reception, but do I need a long reception with four people? Or technology is going to be able to let people in. I mean, uh, the hotels now where you are pre-booked, you have your, your barcode, and then you get to the entrance and just scan So there's no valet opening the door and saying, welcome to this, and you know, so all of those have to be taken into consideration as we, we, we build for now and for the future. Okay, now, regarding the um, IWFM report that, that was recently published regarding uh, the future of workplace. Can you just share lighter about the objective of the report and what we what report was meant to address and um, how can this you know, fit into large scale development for, for developers? Okay, so um, historically people had seen facilities management about um, focusing majorly on the space itself, the facilities themselves. But like I said, it's a dynamic work and we have to, the role of a facility manager is changing to be an enabler. How do I enable people to achieve what they want to achieve? So it goes beyond the physical environment. And that's why uh, we used to be known as BIFM, the British Institute of Facilities Management. And that's why, the, the, that's what prompted us to embrace workplace as um, a major focus and so that's why we now have ourselves as institute of workplace and facilities management now what that says is um, we're beginning to see things like we were talking earlier about developers for office spaces um, 
office as a service, for instance. It means with the way people work now, agile working, flexible working, I may not need an office, you know, five days a week. Yeah. And I may need to work seven days a week, one month, and that's it. So it, the concept of leasing long lease yeah. may begin to change depending on the organizational needs. So I then begin to think about as an owner, how do I build and project my building in such a way that you can come in for short term use. You can, um, I, so I, I can have spaces for people who want to you know, have it for the long term. And then I can have people who want to use it for a week, a day, a month, and that's it. And we then begin to need to factor in things like, so how do I plan my service charge? Because typically I may have charged for a whole year based on this. How do I plan for um, times where there's no occupancy? How do I factor it that into people who occupy the space? And then how do I factor energy management? Times that are peak periods, and peak periods are even changing, you know. So again, technology. What are the tools that people would need? For meeting rooms, for instance, previously would have just been your meeting room, your table, and now. If I don't have teleconferencing facilities, and my meeting room might not be in as much demand as um, someone else's meeting room. So beyond erecting the space, as a developer, I need to think about, okay, am I going to do this in partnership with a management company, like an asset management company, or a facility management company, or am I going to provide these and then um, or have like a service office exactly like federal office companies with you. I've heard about Rigos now they mm -hmm. go into buildings that are currently maybe empty or yeah. maybe they, they don't have they have uh, very low occupancy and say, you know what we can bring people in here but you know give us the ground floor let's start our Fantastic. virtual office yeah. and as people come into virtual office they know you know we really need a big office now so, they transcend from the virtual office mm. to enjoy the environment and it does move up up, up, up up building itself. And um, so that's that's quite interesting in itself. Um, but IWFM, the, um, the Nigerian chapter started from the BIFM, right? Yes. And that was about maybe... 2015. That's about four years ago. Yes. And um, they have, you have great spread around Nigeria, of membership in Lagos and Abuja. Yes, so we have members across Nigeria and um, even for people who, and the, the, because IWFM is global. So, okay, that's, yes, that's, it's global. That's, that's so, if, if you were in any country wherever you've been a member of IWFM, if you were in Port of Nigeria, for instance, you readily be a member of the uh, Nigeria region. And the same thing for those who are members in Nigeria. You get the only difference would probably be where there are physical meetings and you're not able to attend those meetings. But of course, um, every other thing you get in terms of resources, the networking opportunities, the learning opportunities, and there's a qualification um, uh, path as well. These are open to every uh, person who subscribes to any other video. But in terms of um, general, like, Membership. I mean, some developers, last-year developers, they say, hey, you know what, I'm not interested in this, you know, um, that FM knowledge is not so important to me now, and things like that. Um, a number of people who are trying to build career in the facility management space, or, or let me say asset management space itself, um, how does IWFM help to, like, integrate or merge this demand from both from the career person and also from the business model? 
Okay, thank you. Um, particularly in the, I mean, IWFM is, um, we deliver value along different lines. First of all is knowledge sharing. And being a member of um, IWFM gives you access to multiple resources, particularly on the website. We have what we call good practice guides, and we have the professional standards. Now, good practice guides, for instance, there's a good practice guide on managing empty buildings. And at a time like this in, in Lagos, for instance, where you're having high levels and low levels of occupancy, those are some of the things that people need to consider. Your building has been empty for what, six months, one year. There is some FM that should still be taking place. Ooh, yes. Are you serious? Like, definitely. Wow. You know, the, the interesting thing about a building when it's unoccupied is, um, it's, you know, the human beings, the, the, even just walking into a building, breathing in the building, creates that. Yes, kind of, like, adds some sense of life and sustenance to the building. But just check out the building three months after the someone has moved faster. up degradation is amazing. Now, there are certain things that should continue to happen even if your building is empty. BIFM, I mean IWFM, sorry, has, we have good practice guides on that. We have good practice guides on contract management, for instance, which is one of the reasons why uh, people are not able to get good value from FM. Because sometimes contracts are wrongly structured. So you have contracts that are focusing on things like impute. Uh, how many cleaners are you bringing? Okay. Rather than, what is the definition of clean? And I always want to see this place clean. Okay. It doesn't matter whether you are bringing fifty cleaners or thirty cleaners. Okay. Let the FM use what they, whether it's technology or equipment or systems or you know their own standards to uh, their own um, methodology to ensure that the outcome you desire is yes is meant in terms of power availability for instance so rather than saying oh uh, the generator must be this or that it's just 100 power availability and because those are not well structured into the contracts people then find themselves in a place of frustration hmm. but with good practice guides uh, in uh, iwfm now you're able to see areas of oh you know and then how do you manage a supplier relationship because if it's always a them and us thing, you're never going to achieve much. Mm -hmm. Because in FM, we manage buildings, we manage situations, mm -hmm. you manage people. Yeah. So if um, from the demand organization, I take the position of it's either this or nothing, I, I'll fire this FM, fire the next one, <laughs> fire the one after that, and then just conclude that this is a hopeless environment. Wow. But when you see it as, okay, there's a challenge here. What is my role as demand organization? What is the role of a service provider? How do we work together to achieve this kind of goal? As uh, good practice guides on health and safety, customer relationship management, even choosing your FM software. You know? Wow. So that's one thing on knowledge sharing. Then on networking. Um, in Nigeria, for instance, we usually have um, the C-suite event, which okay. um, we bring together um, executives. And this is where the developers can come in because the average developer may not want to or have the time to go through the qualifications road where you're yeah. you know, sending in papers and all of that. But at the, the C-Suite Forum, you're able to have high-level seminars and then you meet other people, network, share knowledge, and then also get to meet member organizations who can add value to, to you. And um, advocacy, so through our research reports also, we're you know, pushing out things and sharing information that help people to make informed decisions concerning FM as an industry, as a profession, and um, to 
push the frontiers of ensuring that real estate assets are preserved. Thank you so much. Um, just to add to this, I mean, is there a place for, for government regulation or let me use the word policy that government needs to really put in place, especially in the facility management aspect of things? Um, maybe related to buildings and also use of government facilities itself that could help the FM people like this group about these guys you mentioned yeah. so because they are not under any compulsion or any law to say I must follow IWFM you know just like the way ISO is I mean, yeah. you choose to become an ISO person how can business owners take advantage of these guides to actually even structure their departments or their maintenance department in the organization itself? Or what can government do you know, in terms of policy that will enable um, more sustainability to happen in buildings? Okay, so um, interestingly, there is actually a lot of regulation okay. existing. Uh, the first thing to remember is that FM is the umbrella organization. So you're taking civil engineering, mechanical, K-Tray, reprographics, um, cleaning. Now, each of these services in themselves fall under one uh, ministry arm of the other, and there is guiding regulation. I mean, engineering, for instance, we have the, the, even health and safety. We have the Factories Act and things like that. The challenge we have on this side of the world is clearly implementation, enforcing the standards. And you know, there are many dimensions to that, including the government officials who are going to enforce those standards. And most times, unfortunately, you find that these officials come more from a point of view of um, come more from a punitive point of view. So I want to give you a fine because your sewage treatment plant is not what it should be. But there are things that, I mean, in, in, in other claims, you'd find that in as much as that regulation exists, there are processes for you self-reporting, there are processes for checking and then giving you, you know, timelines or conditions which you must, you know, adhere to within a specific period. And then when those are not met, then you start getting fined. But here in Nigeria, just, and you get, you know, some, you just find a vehicle outside your office and you say, oh, we're a task force from this, this, this. And then we have, unfortunately, the problem of multiple regulation and um, we have agencies whose um, jurisdiction are crisscrossing. Okay. So you have Ministry of Environment and then you have some other Department of Waste yes. and, you know, and there's, so it, it goes back to what is the, 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 the focus on um, standards is not there. The focus is more on revenue drive. Correct. And that yeah. you know, defeats the whole purpose. In, I mean, lifts, for instance, there are regulations about um, the standards for how often your lift should be checked and maintained. And we're and not following this. And you do yourself so that's what it should be yeah, and that's why i said you'd be surprised that a lot of this regulation already exists okay. i mean in engineering you have the building code that's yeah. been in discussion for several years and um because there's also no consistency in application mm -hmm. you get them you then find people 
planning to get away with this or planning to keep it away. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have buildings, for instance, where you have fire, you see the fire certificate of the building there. And then you look and you see, this. if there's a fire in this building, <laughs> this building will definitely go down. Yeah. Because maybe all they have is a fire extinguisher, which is not enough. Yeah. There are some buildings you should have your sprinklers, you should have your fire pumps. And some of those things are there, some of them have never been commissioned from the which is one of the things that the FM would have done if they, mm -hmm. yes, right from the very beginning. So regulation is a sticky one because um, sometimes, you, I mean, the industry is growing and then you're now bringing over-regulation. Yeah. Then you'll find people saying, no, but I'm already an architect and I'm regulated by this. By this yeah. And I'm already in the cleaning, I'm regulated by environment. And these are things that FM does in different pockets. Yeah. So having one legislation that says this is FM, may be difficult to achieve and I am um, interestingly I'm not sure that it actually exists anywhere in the world what happens is that for the different bodies the FM is required to comply to the existing regulation now the place of standards we can't overemphasize it because like you said this this self-drive that ISO standards puts you through is even higher than what um, you might get from you know, the compliance level you could get from regulation. And then thirdly, there's an interesting dimension to this. So you have uh, large organizations, multinationals, who, for instance, in the oil and gas industry, there's a certain level of health and safety that you must maintain to be able to work with them. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, so we are finding now that the smaller organizations are ready to comply. They're developing their processes and systems because I won't get a job in X organization or Y organization if I'm not HSC compliant. all service companies. Exactly. So as a society, we also have a role to play. So if you and I say, okay, if this guy is going to come in as a plumber to work in my home, in my office, he must meet certain standards. That in itself will also drive, you know, compliance and standards even beyond trying to you know muscle the elephant and say oh the government should do this and then the law should do that again the law is um, um, the environment so we're talking about the government and what they're yeah. able to do so the even for fms and it, it works on both sides there's no assurance for instance that if i have a case with a client who refuses to pay if i take that case to court now and it's going to take me three or four years Leave it and let it go. That's like you provided the service already. I've provided the service, the people are not paying, they're giving one excuse or the other. Now, there's no precedence. So yeah. somebody else does it and gets away with it. And then he says, Oh, don't mind these people. And then another person does it. So when the reg when the, the, the enabling environment is not there, those are things that government can do. Now, they may not directly have FM labeled on them, but they impact. Yeah. Provision of infrastructure, for instance. One of the greatest headaches that FMs have in Nigeria is power. So you, you, you find yourself, I mean, if 50% of a service charge of a, a building is centered around providing power, you can imagine the distraction that that creates, even in trying to reconcile accounts. Yes. Then the FM has to worry about, oh, the, the uh, borehole is not pumping water and then I have to treat my own water. In other climates, these are things that are a giving. So the role of an FM in Nigeria is stretched. Correct. And yeah. while the government may not be necessarily thinking FM when they're putting these things in place, they will 
of necessity impact on the quality of FM and BBC. Thank you so much for this really, really good. Uh, this, really, this really has been a very good um, podcast in itself. Um, I don't know if there are any concluding remarks you want to give because um, we're all rounding up. But before we end up on that, um, what I would like to also share again, which you have, you have emphasized, is the fact that your sea suits events are they going to happen again before the end of the year? Yes. So we have um, no. Well, we've just pl- we've just released. Uh, they, we've just finalized, let me say, we just finalized the report yes. and this was uh, presented at the World FM Day. So, um, typically our next focus now is to publicize and share the report, engage the industry on that and then uh, from there we'll begin to have other uh, projects and meetings. But we do have our members meetings. Um, and some of these, so these are generally focused on different subject areas. So if we have a members meeting, we can say that this is focused on um, energy management, for instance. And even for the C-suits, while it's not tagged the annual C-suit event, okay. we do have members meetings for which the focus is on decision makers in the C-suit. Just to, just to divert a little bit, even though we didn't talk about this earlier, is when you mentioned the issue of energy management, there's this buzz now around renewable energy, solar, everybody wants to have an inverter and things. And um, I've advised a number of clients on the solar deployment in up northern Nigeria. And one of the key things was that if you don't like wipe the solar panels or clean it on a regular basis or maintain the inverters properly or check the battery often and things like that. It's not about like preventive maintenance checks and things. You won't get the the energy you require. And if you don't get that energy you require, you might not be able to get your subscribers or your off-takers to pay because they pay for the energy you supply Mm -hmm. and things. And I don't know if um, the FM body have been looking at that aspect in terms of um, this whole buzz of green farm or solar farm and coming back to what role you know, FM would play even though yes it's an alternative source of power but there's the maintenance factor in it. Yes so again it comes back to the earlier question of um, facility managers being brought in from the get-go. And if you understand that everything that has to do with your building, the usage of the building and the optimization of the user experience, then even if you were going to take a decision like that, you would need to bring in the effort to say, oh, this is how we plan to do power. And um, so I'll give an example of some of the experiences we've had. So you have a situation where um, a developer has built and he's purchased generators. Okay. Diesel generators. Diesel generators. And then in the lease agreement, it's not explicitly stated whether tenants can bring in their own alternative sources of power. So I'm a tenant and then you now start installing things. Yes. Um, so installing is one part. Let's say that you get a permit for that. The other then is I'm catering for power for my building what happens to investment that has been made for common area. Okay. Um, we're not yet talking maintenance now. Oh, okay. You know, I'm okay. saying that these are perspectives that you need to take into consideration, consideration even beyond the maintenance. Yes. 
So, um, how do you charge for that power? How do you um, distribute the power in such a way that people are able to get um, what they need? Yeah. Um, how do you cost? Charge is one thing. How do you cost? Because um, the initial investment is there. Uh, replacement costs. Correct. What's the life cycle of this thing and at what point? So, find people typically charging for just the maintenance cost. But in two, three years, yeah. you might need to replace batteries. And then everybody say, why are you just suddenly slamming us with this? Exactly. But good FM would have built in the replacement cost and it's going into a sinking fund. Yeah. Now, yeah. that's even more high level than cleaning the, the photo cells and, and like which, that. yes, which can come into play. That's maintenance. Okay. So, uh, and all that is really required, I mean, from, as with all equipment, the manufacturer stipulates the maintenance regime that best preserves the life of that equipment. So yeah. if it's um, solar, for instance, they will tell you that this needs to be cleaned every X, Y, Z, and this needs to be replaced, you know, so many months or so many years after. And it's just for the FM to take that into their preventive maintenance program and then begin to do that. All right then. Thank you so much for this. Um, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed this interview, please subscribe to our website to receive notifications for new episodes coming up. We we'll also appreciate if you can leave a review on our iTunes or whatever platform you are listening from. See you next time. Thank you so much for this.